0: fun for you to just get a chance to know Aaron. He's one of the most um, just fun and energetic and great to be around guys that I know. Every time I see him, he just kind of lights up the room. And so, Aaron, um, I'd love for you to maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself. You grew up one of
1: six brothers. Six boys, yeah. One of six boys, my parents uh, were pastors uh, all of my life. I was a PK. They just recently actually moved to Kuwait, and they, well, not recently. This has been years, but eight years after they raised all their kids, they took some and moved to Kuwait. They've been missionaries over there in a church there, um, so that's incredible. All of all of my brothers, uh, my two older, are my, my one older brother pastors in Dallas, Texas, and then another one in Northern Cal and then there's four of us out of the six that are uh, at the church in Alhambra Village. So, so the,
0: the son of a, uh, the sons of pastors actually stay in the church.
1: Yes, and love the church. How does that So happen? that is uh, God's grace, you yeah. know. <laughs>
0: That's really <laughs> And cool. my
1: dad's been incredible, incredible. He was a dad, you know, so yeah. he he pastored, but he was he was a dad. He loved his his kids, his wife, so and your mom's um, still mom's, recovering. She's incredible. <laughs> <And six boys. laughs> she is. She's still recovering. And so. so
0: you have a big family of your own. If you don't, you should, you should look up Aaron on Instagram. He's a hoot <laughs> to follow. You get to see all kinds of interesting things. So I pulled some of these pictures of his family um, from Instagram. Why don't oh, you introduce great. us to your crew here? That's my
1: wife in the top corner. That's Dana. Uh, She's incredible. And uh, she's had all five of these kids and she uh, still looks that good. And uh, Kairos is my oldest, topless there, ironing his clothes. The picture, I think when I posted that, I said he is ironing his own clothes. This was a monumental day because now he is ironing his own clothes. That's Ezra. He's he's, uh, eight and... uh, or i'm sorry not nine, so it's eleven nine and then hadessa is down there in the in the, the bottom corner, and she is our oldest daughter, and uh, then that's Selah right there, and then Aria. Tell
0: us about Selah, because I, I love that kind of her name and how it connects with who It's incredible.
1: Her, all of them have different names that mean different things, but Selah's means, you know, stop, think, meditate, that kind of things. And so, you know, it's interesting how each one takes on the personality. So when she prays over the meal, it's cool because she goes, I want to pray. And so she'll, we'll all bow our heads and she'll just think her prayer and then say amen. So it's like, <laughs> it's exactly what her name means. She'll just literally sit there, we we'll all just know you can sense the spirit moving in that prayer <laughs> so we all just stop and think and then and then she says amen and it's over and
0: with. then Aria just had a Minnie Mouse birthday Aria like. had a Minnie or Mouse Aria, birthday
1: right. birthday and she uh is the cutest little thing but uh she got all Minnie Mouse things so she's she's, she's she happy. worships Minnie Mouse we're, we're trying to work on
0: that <laughs> <laughs> well, man, tell us about Life Connection Church. Tell us about this this great family of, of believers that we're getting to connect with now.
1: Life Connection Church is right in Alhambra, um, in Phoenix, Arizona, and we went there specifically because of the the diversity, but also the. the just the need of the gospel there. There is
0: so 27th Avenue in Indian School. Is 27th kind of right where Avenue you're at. Indian
1: School. It's right in the center. Alhambra actually means red one. Which if you look on the crime map, makes a ton of sense. <laughs> uh, there's all red right there, and um, it is it is a very diverse neighborhood. It's working poor families. So there's a, a lot of single mom. Fatherlessness is huge there. Uh, just. All that you could think of, but Grand Canyon University is growing like crazy when we went there and planted it was nothing but just this really small little school yeah. and um, and so we 've just been able to see a reflection of that community uh, a very diverse group of people, a lot of working poor, and then even with the college population it 's just college, educated, poor. college poor educated yeah. <laughs> poor so now we 're just're it 's a very poor community but You know, by God's grace, we've seen people being saved, discipled, and it's just been the coolest thing. Our family um, has given our lives to to be down there. Um, I'm bivocational, so I get to work with Crisis Pregnancy Center, which you guys have been a huge blessing to them. And so, just being down there with these people has shaped us, and we've just we love we love
0: being there. What are some of the things that have been exciting in this last year at Life Connection in particular? Well, the biggest Besides thing, this. the
1: biggest thing is the redemption thing. Okay. Although I will say on Sunday when we announced it, it was just so emotional to see how people responded. It was loud and exciting. You guys have been a huge blessing to us on a local level, just in shaping us as a church. Plus, Surge has been huge. We've taken all of our leaders through there. So seeing them come, it's been massive for us. It's changed the way that we've done church. So the relationship there is big. Plus, allowing them to be a part of the bigger picture of redemption churches abroad is is unique because most churches in that neighborhood, not only are they in the ghetto, but have a ghetto kind of mentality, which is we're separate from the city. Nobody really cares about us. So for them to be a part of something bigger and to be a part of and valued is is a really big deal. Um, But besides that, the baptisms have been incredible this year. Um, We do have seen people come to know and follow Jesus. We've actually grown uh, more than we ever have, both in you know numerics and so forth and so on, but it's been, it 's been really strong this year for us
0: so what are some things that you feel like um, Redemption Alhambra Village is going to bring to the rest of redemption i I, um, I know I have a list of yeah i 'm sure and, and I, I, I talked know. a little bit about them last week, but but from your angle, what are some things that you think how will we all benefit we 'll immediately that?
1: grow in diversity, which I think is a, is a ex- an exciting thing um, there there's a a real passionate group of people so there's a lot of excitement that comes along with us but there's a lot of immaturity that comes with that also um so just bringing together that sense of um a group of people who are passionate who are growing excited about reaching their neighborhood um those kinds of things we bring to the table but um but you guys bring a ton
0: so well, man, we're so excited that you're here, and uh, they've got, we've kind of been planning this for a while, so Aaron has been teaching through the book of Romans at his church, and so we're on the same schedule, yeah. and so he's, uh, he's going to open God's word for us this morning, so um, if you would grab your Bible, and let's stand together, and I'll read for us the passage that we're going to look at here today. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 8 through 11. If you have one of the black hardcover Bibles, that's on page 943. Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 8 through 11. And as we read, remember, uh, we're reading God's word. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Aaron and uh, just everything that he represents in being here today. And God, we're excited. We pray you would give us ears to hear. um, Give him passion and clarity. Help us to hear from you today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Well, I I have to tell you, I am extremely excited to be a part of Redemption Church. And, uh, you know, every time somebody else comes into the family... Um, you have to just kind of go, well, he's family. So if I preach and I'm a little too, you know, hyper or anything, you just got to go, well, everybody has a crazy cousin that they they don't want to admit is actually a part of their family. But uh, I'm happy. I'm excited to be a part of it. I will tell you this. Your pastors here, Luke and Molly, and the whole team here is top-notch. Luke has shaped me as a person. He has done so many incredible things. And I just want you to know that I really love and respect. And I hope you understand how blessed you are to have the pastors that you, that you do. I think he deserves a little bit of a hand there because he is incredible. Um, What we're going to do just for a minute is kind of get an overview. And I know you guys have been preaching through this uh, uh, up until this point. But in in the first chapter, they kind of jumped into Romans by talking about the depth of sin. But, But I want to kind of set the stage for that. He didn't just jump into the depth of sin. Paul says in 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 verse 16 of chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. The reason why he could talk about sin in the depth that he did for as long as he did, in the, the length that he did, is because he believed that the power of the gospel was greater than the power of sin. And so he could dive into the depths of sin. And so we we spent a lot of time talking about rebellious sin, religious sin. We also dived into the depths of the gospel. We saw that kind of turn in verse 21 of chapter 3. We dove into the depths of the gospel. And then we spent time talking about the depths of faith. Those, those texts were so rich and so beautiful. I think it's important for us to know where we are and how we got there. But also in chapter 5, we started diving into, and then into chapter 6, the depths of Union with Christ, or as the Puritans or the Reformers would call it, mystical union with Christ. What a beautiful word for us to talk about today, union with Christ. Now, I I, I get to do a lot of counseling as any pastor does. Not that we're great counselors, but just because we're pastors, all of a sudden we become counselors. And so inside of that, we get to talk to a lot of people. And part of that is marital counseling. Now, I want to give you some scenarios to think through with me, uh, if you will. And these happen all of the time. I have some couples that come in and are living together and and they live together because in their minds they use this whole line that they don't need legal papers in order to have love for one another matter of fact you hear some slick guy going girl mm. we don't need to put a label on it girl Mm. look into my eyes girl you know how much I love you girl We don't need to put a label on it. We don't need no paper to tell us how much we love each other. And in those moments, it sounds so romantic and beautiful, but the reality is just sitting there going, girl, do you hear what he's saying to you? He's saying he doesn't want to legally be in a relationship with you. He loves you. But he doesn't want you to be his legally. He doesn't want to take responsibility. And girl, you're fooled by that? Don't look into his eyes, girl. Don't look into his eyes. (laughs) The other thing is you have couples that come in and although they are married or getting married, they feel like nothing will change once they get married. I want to get married, but I I don't want to lose relationship with my boys. I don't want to change the way my relationship, or this one comes around, I don't want to change my last name. I don't want my identity to change. I don't want nothing to change. I want to get married. I, I want to live with there. I want, to, I want to have the relationship, but I, I don't want nothing to change. Everything's going to stay the same. I mean, we're going to keep the same, the same thing. We're going to keep the last names. We're going to have everything the same. And you look at that and you're going, you don't understand union. Then the other one is, I think, pretty sad. is couples that have been married for a long time. Not that that's sad, but, but their, their attitudes. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, they've been married a long time. And, and this, is, this is that couple. Whenever somebody announces that they're going to get married, they feel the weight of responsibility to say, have you thought through this? I've been in this prison for a long time. Please, think about it. While you have a chance to get out, please, think about it. And the only answer for what makes... Your marriage lasts so long is the dude going, well, I've just learned to listen to her for all this time. That's that's hot. Thanks for that. Uh, Or, well, I married her. Look at the paper. Look at the license, right? And the girl's saying, look, the wife's saying, look, we've been married for a long time, but do you love me? And all he can say is, I married you, didn't I? I told you I loved you. That hasn't changed. I don't need to say it again. I told you. And the reality of all of these things is when you start to isolate union with, with, with somebody, when you start to take bits and pieces of what union is, you, you start to lose the picture of what marriage actually is because Ephesians chapter 5 shows us that, that marriage is not just this kind of relationship where husbands love your wives. It says there's this, there's this mystery, and it's profound, and it's actually about Christ and the church. That when we see a full covenantal union with with, with, a, married, with a married couple, we see a picture Of Christ and his love for the church. And and I want you to look at this. There are three elements that we've been studying when we come to union with Jesus. First is that legal union. Jesus didn't just say, girl, we don't need no paper. Right? He didn't give us a, he said, no. I am going to come and pay the price. I am going to legally purchase you. I am going to pay the price for your sin. I am going to come and make you mine. Mine. Legally, that's justification. That the court now, you were declared guilty, but that that sentence of guilty has now been paid in full by your beloved, and now he has legally made you his. That's justification. We've talked about this. And then spiritual union. This is... Where an identity is changed. It's not just we come into it and we don't want nothing to change. When we come into union, it changes who we are. And that is where this word righteous comes in. We now, because of our relationship, because of our union with Christ, we become new creations. We become righteous. So there's spiritual union. And then there are the results of that union. And that is... The continual outpouring of his love by his spirit. It's this ongoing living in this union that changes the way we live and our life now is in this rhythm that is empowered by and and and, 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 and influenced by this union we have with Christ. This union we have with Christ is extremely important and central to all that we're talking about. John Murray says this, union with Christ is the central truth in the whole doctrine of salvation. Union with Christ is the central truth in this whole doctrine of salvation. As a matter of fact, when we're studying through this, in Pauline kind of letters that are written 216 times, this word in Christ comes up in Christ. And I hope that you see the power of him putting in, in front of the word Christ. That we are not just in a relationship with Christ, we are one with him. We are in Christ. John, in in his literature, writes this 26 times. It's central to our understanding of salvation. But the, the problem with this is, although union with Christ is central, we have kind of a American theology, if you will. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this American theology is more deistic than it is Christian. Okay, because Christian theology is this union with Christ. This now, what do we get when we come into when we come into Christianity? We get Jesus. That's what we get. It's not prosperity. It's not wealth. It's not happiness. It is, it's that all of that comes because we are in Christ. Because we're in Christ, we have joy. Because we're in Christ, we have hope. Because we're in Christ, we have this new life. But there's this deistic understanding, or, or some, uh, some writer called it moralistic therapeutic deism, which is this, God exists as the creator and he orders the world So he is out there. He's the creator. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. And this is the things that are taught in the Bible. So it's moralism. And that the central goal of this life is that you be happy and you feel good about yourself. And God does not need to be particularly involved with your life unless or except if you have problems. And then you want him involved. And the last thing of that is that good people, when they die, they go to heaven. Now, this is what they call American theology. But the problem with this is is that many people, and I want to put this up on on the screen, that many people want the benefits of low commitment relationship with a conveniently distant God. Many people want the benefits of a low commitment relationship with a conveniently distant God. Here is the story that I I heard that that I think brings this picture in. There's a, a beggar who's living in this kingdom with this good and glorious king. And all he wants is for that king to give him what he needs. To pay for his bills. To get him off the streets to help him financially when he needs it. And it would be nice to maybe run into him and meet him so that he could say, well, I have met the king. And then all of a sudden this beggar hears, not that the king wants to just pay his bills and meet him, but the invitation comes like this. Give up everything that you have. Lay it all down, your identity, and I want you to move into the palace with me. I want you to become my son. I want you to be an heir with me. I want you to have all the benefits of what it is to be with me. And and that beggar looks at that and says, hold on a second. I didn't want to change my identity. I didn't want to change who I am. I didn't want to live under your rule and reign. I just wanted you to bless me. That the call of the relationship that we get to have with Christ is this call from a low commitment, distant relationship into saying, come into me. Come into union with me. Leave all that you are behind and come into this deep relationship with me and what's important for us is as we read this text or as we have read this text that we remember the essence of this is that it is about union with Christ because of union with Christ what is true about Jesus is true about us Because of union with Jesus, because of union with Christ, what is true about Jesus is true about us. Now, with that in our hearts and minds, when we look at verse 8 and it says this, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also what? Live with Christ. So because Christ has died, we have died with him. Because Christ has rose again, we now have this new life. I had a pastor friend of mine whose wife committed adultery on him. Cheated on him. And while I was talking to him, what he said to me was while he was going through all of this, he made this statement that helped him to forgive his wife, helped him to work through their relationship. What he said was, when he heard this, he was angry, he was enraged, she had disrespected and dishonored him. And what he said is, someone has to die for this. Someone. This is so wrong. Someone has to die. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit illuminated him. Someone did die for this. Someone did die for this. And that is Jesus. And because of Jesus' death, now if his wife is in Christ, she now has died with Christ. Christ. And because of that, he could see that the newness of life was possible in his wife and in his family. Not because of her death, but because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus died for what? Legal union. So that we could have be legally his. So what is true about Jesus is now true about me. I am legally His. What do we see in verse 9? Look here with me. Verse 9 says this. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That when Jesus died, he did not just, just die. He rose from the grave. And though sin may remain as an outlaw... And though it may oppress you as a tyrant, and though it, it may be uh, present in your life, hear me on this. Let not sin reign as a king in your life. Because we have a new reigning king that because of his resurrection there is a new reign and that reign is grace. And what we have now, because it is true about Jesus, that what he did is he finished the work. We see that in verse 10. He finished the work. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Hear me on this, church. This kind of thing should get us Excited, it should. The deal is done. We're not trying to negotiate a deal with God, Jesus has accomplished the work because of his death. Sin is severed, and we now are legally God's because of the work of Jesus. And because of his resurrection, we now have spiritual union. We are righteous. Our identity has changed. And not only has our identity changed, we are in an ongoing relationship with God by his Spirit where he is continually pouring out his love upon us. This is a full and complete relationship that we have because listen the deal is done and many of us are still trying to negotiate the deal when it's done God I'll do this for you God I'll give you more of my life from now on I swear I swear by the moon and the sun and the stars I'll be there I swear for better for worse sorry I'm getting caught up in the song boys to men get me sometime Hear me on this. We don't have to negotiate. We don't have to swear. We don't have to make another deal. The deal is done. Why? Because what is true about Jesus is now true about me. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection has now given us this newness of life. Now listen, that is enough to preach That is enough to talk about, and Pastor Luke has has talked about this over and over again. And so what I want to spend the rest of our time on is verse 11. I wanted to go through these things because I'm going to give you a little bit of a quiz. You, You look extremely smart, and so I know you'll get this. One question. In all of the 27 weeks that we have been teaching through Romans, which it's gone by so fast you didn't even know you were at 27. In all of the 27 weeks, how many to-dos has Paul given to the church in Rome? How many imperatives has he given? How many exhortations? How many things has he told them to do? Anybody? Zero. He hasn't encouraged them to do anything. He hasn't given them imperatives. He hasn't given them a checklist or a to-do list. In verse 11, after 27 weeks, is the first imperative that we see in the book of Romans. And why this is important is because we live in a self-help, books and seminar culture. Where we get short books, the shortest possible, that promise great things in a short amount of time. That we can do certain things to accomplish those great things. Now what is wrong with this is that we take too much time jumping into imperatives rather than shaping identity. We spend too much time trying to figure out what do I do and how do I do it. When you're sitting in a counseling room, the first question people are asking is, Pastor, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. But the reality is, it's not a checklist that's going to fix this. It's a new identity. You don't need a new list of things to do. Here's what you need. You need a new life. And so he spends all of this time talking through identity. And here is the first imperative. Here is the first to do. Look at verse 11 so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Huh. You're still going. That doesn't sound like a to-do. How do I do that? His first imperative is this. Take all that you have learned in the first 27 weeks, which it didn't take him 27 weeks to read, uh, six chapters, right? Take all that we've learned about sin, about the gospel, about, the, about justification, about union with Christ, about faith. Take all that we have learned and consider these things. Now, this word consider is, is powerful because it's not just ponder it's actually one that is far greater than just ponder. It is a accounting term, which basically means this: it's it's in the bank. It, it, it's there. That when you fill out your ledger and you write, this is how much is in your bank. If you put a hundred or you put a hundred thousand, it doesn't matter what you put right on that line. If it doesn't match up with what's actually in the bank, if it's less or more. So if, if some of us put less than what's in the bank, we will be spending far less than what we actually have. If we put more, we will be bouncing some checks, Correct? Because we'll be spending far more. Because we think we have more. But here is what he is saying here. This that we have looked at. This which we have studied. It is in the bank. What Jesus has done on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection is in the bank. That means that as we look at these things. It's not just ponder these things. It is count them as true in your own heart and mind and life. Spend time thinking on these things. Put your heart and mind and attention that this is the work that has been accomplished. Keep these things constantly before you. This is true about Jesus. So it is true about me. Listen to this. What Jesus wants to do in your life is not give you another chance to get it right, to do it better this time. What he gives us is himself. And in giving himself to us, he gives us new life. Up on the screen, I'm going to put some things that I want you to consider. Consider yourself alive to God. Consider yourself alive. Alive to God. You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? If I consider myself alive to God, it means this I have been reconciled to God. Because of sin that we studied, I have been separated from God. I was separate from Him. But because of the work of Jesus, His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, now I have been reconciled to God. What do I get when I come into this full relationship with God? I get Jesus. I get life. I get reconciliation. Because of Jesus, I have become a new creature in Christ. These are all identity statements. These are not to-do lists. Because of Jesus, I am freed from the bondage of sin. Because of Jesus, I am pressing forward to assure destiny. And because of Jesus, I can no longer be satisfied with this world and the things that it offers Consider yourself alive to God. Could I present this to you today? That the things that we are doing that are sinful, the sinful behaviors of our lives flow out of a distorted identity. And the way that God changes us through the work of Jesus by His Spirit, is not to give us a whole new set of laws and to-dos. The way He does this is by showing us Himself, His work, His Spirit, and His power. Do you believe that the gospel has so much power that it doesn't just give you things to do, it changes you? People thought, well, if I just tell people that... Jesus changes them and tell them that it's by grace, then they'll just do what they want to do. And, and Paul's saying, exactly. But you just believe that God only has the power to change your behaviors. But what the gospel is, He has a power to change your want to. He gives you a new want to. And what he's saying here is that the first imperative is Consider these things. Count them as as true. Set your heart and mind upon these. I'm going to end with this. I was sitting with a, a man who's a dear friend of mine, part of our congregation, who I got to see come to life in Christ. When he first came to the church, he was completely, completely, completely anti-anything to do. Matter of fact, we sat at a coffee table and he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I'm only coming because of my wife. I think this whole thing is bleep, bleep, right? Spare you the details. I said, well, you know what? I believe that if you don't have God open your eyes and give you a new sight and give you a new heart, You won't want nothing to do with him. So I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm praying for you, bro. Years later, he gave his life to Jesus, surrendered his heart. Jesus captured his heart, and he's been changed. But hear this. That change has been a shifting in identity. And about a couple years ago, this is him and his wife hit a rough patch. A lot of things took place in his life. He became, once again, a picture of this abusive husband that he was before he met Christ. His wife moved out. We've... We've been helping them, and we've been praying that God would bring restoration. And the other day, they've been apart for a year and a half now. Both of them still attending the church. Both of them, we're walking them through all that we can do. We're praying them through this. We're asking God to work in their hearts. We're seeing God change. And he was sitting there saying, Pastor, tell me what I need to do. I want her to move back in. I want to see her. And I said, look at me. I can't tell you what to do, but let me show you who Jesus is. And I began to point him to the work of Jesus and the patience that Jesus has in wooing his bride and the work that he did and the suffering that he went through. And I began to point him to the work at the cross. And he said, Pastor, I don't want to look at Jesus. I just want to see what it is that I need to do. And I said, Look at me. If you take away my ability to point you to Jesus, I have nothing to give you. I have nothing. I don't have a list. I'm in the midst of this mess with you. I'm walking you through this, but I don't have a list. We need to keep looking at Jesus because if you can't see your identity in Him and not in your works, if you can't look to who He is, if you can't consider Christ with me and count what Christ has done as the hope and joy and work of of, of God in your life, if you can't look at that and take that on as identity, then you'll continue to just try to figure out what you need to do. And the reality is that's going to lead you to hopelessness because if we look at what you have done you've destroyed your marriage and your life. You need Jesus. He began to weep as his heart was refreshed once again. Not by something changing in his life and circumstances but by considering the work of Jesus as his hope. He repented of worshiping his wife the circumstance, and committed once again to saying, by God's grace, I'm going to walk in patience until I see complete restoration, and I'm going to continue to walk in the identity that Jesus has given to me. Listen, there is power. There is power in the gospel. Why? Because it doesn't just give us a list of things to do. It gives us a completely new identity What is true about Jesus is true about you. And because of his dead, because of his death, we are dead to sin and legally Jesus's. And because of his resurrection, we have a new identity and a new life. That the gospel is fuller than we could imagine and far greater than our hearts could. And next week, Pastor Luke, whoever's preaching, they're going to spend time going into even more imperatives. But hear me on this. Before we jump into more imperatives, we need this identity to sink deep into our hearts. Otherwise, this stuff can just become another checklist. Let me pray for you. But as we go into a time of communion and singing, I hope and pray that your hearts will be lifted up to the work of Jesus and that your identity in your heart, and your life, that you will spend time considering, looking at the work of Jesus as a ledger of your soul. And you would see that, that this is done. And you would find hope and joy and peace and life and righteousness in him. God, we thank you. We thank you for union with you. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. God, for my sin, someone had to die. I had to die. But I couldn't even pay the price for my own sin. But because you sent your son, you died the death that I should have died. Sin no longer reigns. Although it's a tyrant, although I feel the oppression of it, although I feel the weight of it, it no longer reigns as king in my life. You conquered sin by raising from the grave. And now you reign as king, you Lord and king over all, and you reign with grace and mercy, and you have changed my heart and life, and that you have given me a new identity because I am in you. I pray that these things would be so considered, so deeply embedded into our hearts that we would learn to live in those truths, that we would understand that laborers do not work as hard as lovers. Lovers who have been so changed in their identity, they work so much harder. Why? Because they're doing it out of love and not just for reward not just for a paycheck, but because they are in union with you. We love you. We worship you. We give you glory. Thank you for changing our identity. In Jesus' name. Thanks,
0: buddy. Well, we're going to.